So we're looking at John 15, 1 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, it's there for you in your bulletin. Let's give our attention this evening to God's Word. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The grass withers flowers fade away. The Word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would speak to us, that you would, that you would not be silent. God, you have not left us to wonder what you're like. You've not left us to wonder what, what we need to know. You have spoken, and you speak even tonight through your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with us by your Holy Spirit, that something supernatural would happen, that you would, that you would open up our hearts so that we might hear you, and so that we might leave this, this room different from the way in which we came in it. And we ask that expectantly and hopefully and humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was in my office working on this sermon uh, some time ago, was typing it up, and Amy had uh, a couple of our kids at uh, the park. And I was literally sitting at my desk trying to think of a good opening illustration for this sermon, and I get a text from her. I'm sitting there trying to think about how am I going to illustrate Jesus abiding you know, how Jesus says, abide in me. And I get a text from Amy that says this. 
This is about our, uh, I believe it was about our oldest. So he was about uh, five years old. And it says, why does he not understand the concept of stay with me? I tell him over and over, stay with me, stay with me. What does he think he's going to do by himself? And I, so I texted Amy back and I said, I'm sorry about that. I'm not really sure what to tell you, but good luck with that. And thanks for the sermon illustration. <laughs> because that's exactly, exactly what Jesus is saying here, right? Uh, just, we tell our kids over and over, you've got to stay with mom and dad, right? You need to stay with us. Wherever, you know, anywhere we go, because their tendency is to just go. And so we say it over and over, you've got to stay here. It's for your good, right? You know, when, you're at the, uh, when they're at the zoo, if they run ahead, even if they get to the ride or whatever it is early, you can't get on the ride without mom and dad. Um, you, can't, you can't get in the car. They run to the car. You can't get in the car. You can't get to do what you want to do unless we're there. Um, and it's not safe, right? We want to protect you. We don't want, we don't want other people to take you. We want to take you home. And so we, you tell your kids over and over, stay with me. And like I said, that is exactly what Jesus is telling us in this passage. We're studying this semester through what some folks call the farewell discourse, which is Jesus' farewell speech to his disciples. They've been with him for a long time, and now they're facing the, uh, they're facing the potential of living life as a follower of Jesus, but without him there anymore. He's told them that he's about to leave. And so he gives them sort of, in, in one sense, his last words. What, what he knows that they need to hear to live everyday life. Because like we say just about every week, that following Jesus, but without him physically here, in a world that's hostile, that's what we call everyday life. And everyday life can be really hard. And so what we see, what I want you to see tonight is that Jesus is telling us that if you're going to make it through life, If you're going to get through the daily grind, then you need to stay with me. You need to stay right here. You need to abide in me. Don't leave. And so I want to look at that in three ways tonight. Three things about abiding with Jesus. First, we're going to see what does it mean to abide in him. Secondly, we'll look at how do we abide in him. And thirdly, What are the results of abiding in Jesus? So first, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, abide is a word that we, you know, don't typically use every day. Um, So what exactly does it mean? Well, the Greek word, you could also also translate as uh, remain or stay, right? That's my illustration. We get the word abode, dwelling, home, right, from that. It's, it's a place to stay. And very simply, Jesus is telling his disciples and telling us that if we're going to be his disciples, if we're going to make it through life, then we have got to stay right where we are. We've got to live with him. Don't leave. Jesus is telling us that 
He's saying, I want you to live life to the fullest. And that's what we all want. And the only way you can do that is if you are vitally connected to me. Right? And now there, there's, I guess, two senses in which we could talk about that, which I think the scripture is, is getting at. Two senses in which we find our life in, in which we abide in Jesus. Right? There's a, an, the sense in which, sort of the initial sense, the first time when you're, when you're connected to Jesus, when you, um, when you go from dark to light, when Jesus saves you, right? There's a sense in which you find your life in Him initially. And then there's a, an, a continuing sense, an everyday sense of finding your life in Him, of staying connected to Him. And Jesus uses this illustration of the vine. Jesus was a, a masterful illustrator. He used a lot of illustrations, word, uh, word pictures. And the one he gives us here is of a vine. He says basically that I am, I am the... It's a picture of a vineyard, right? And that he is the main vine, the main branch, and that his disciples are the smaller branches that come off of that, right? And you get the picture. You know, even if you're not too much into horticulture or, you know, whatever growing, uh, growing vines is called, even if you're not into that, you get the idea. To stay alive, a branch has to be connected to the main vine. If, it, if it's cut off, right, it's cut off from its, its life source, there's no nutrients, there's no whatever vines need getting to it. It's got to stay connected. In other words, it's utterly dependent for everything on the vine. I think it would be fair to, it, it's not as good an illustration as Jesus's, don't, I'm not saying that. I think it would be fair to think about it like electricity. Something that needs to be plugged in to, to work, right? Your TV has to be plugged in to electricity for it to work. If it doesn't, if it has no power, it's not good for anything else. But it's got to get plugged in and it, and it has to stay that way. And so the point for us is that if we're going to have life, if we're going to be connected and stay connected, the only source that we can have that's really going to cause us to live is Jesus. That abiding in Him means finding our lives wrapped up in Him. It, it means finding ourselves plugged into Him. Having a real living relationship with Jesus. So, a, quick a couple of quick thoughts of application. First, do you ever stop for a minute to think about what is your life plugged into? Because we're all built that way. We all want to find life. We all want to live life to the fullest. And we all are, by our nature, going to try to plug in, so to speak, to something. We all are built, as humans, to derive our energy and our power and our, our being off of something bigger than us. So do you ever stop for a minute to sort of take evaluation, stock of your life, and think, what am I plugged into? Where do I get life? 
what is it that wakes you, what, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? What drives you? What thrills you? What is it that makes you, what is it that gives you energy to live? Is it, is it your grades? You know, I think very easily at a place like this, it can be your grades or the hope for uh, the job that you're going to have. And that's what drives us. That's what we really plug into. And therefore, that's what motivates everything about us. Maybe it's, uh, if you're like me, you, I, I can remember the day that I woke up and realized that my whole life was plugged into the potential, really the thought of my girlfriend and, and that relationship developing. That, that, that's, what, that's what really, at the end of the day, motivated me. And maybe that's true for you. Maybe it's a relationship. Uh, maybe it's money. Maybe it's your uh, fraternity, sorority, your friend group, whatever. But do you take just a few minutes to think, what am I plugged into? Because you're plugged into something. You run on something. And I think all that brings us to our... our what I think the main focus of what it means to abide or to stay with, to stay with Jesus, right? it means to recognize and understand that he's the only thing that can, can make us alive and keep us alive. And really what that means at its core is repentance and faith. I think that fundamentally what Jesus is saying about abiding in him Right? The, the way that we find our life in Him is that we come to Him in repentance and faith. And so what Jesus, I think, primarily is telling us here with abide in Him is He's saying, look, you have, the way that you plug into me is by repentance and trusting me. Repentance, right? Turning from whatever else it is that you're plugged into and turning to Him. Essentially saying, Jesus, I see that my life is plugged into all these other things that really don't give me life, though they seem to promise it. And I can't fix myself. I'm making, have made a wreck of my life, and, and I'm coming to you to fix it. That's repentance, right? When we turn from our sin and to Jesus, not necessarily from our sin to, the, to doing right, though it might look like that, but we turn from our sin to Jesus. And what I want you to see, one big application that I want you to take from this, is that Jesus is telling us, don't ever leave that place. Don't ever leave that place of desperately needing me. Because I think here's what you and I tend to do. Right? If, if you're a believer, you, you very well might have recognized, you know, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to forgive me for all the bad things that I've done and he gives me his righteousness and all that. And so I begin the Christian life, and then it's almost like, all right, so now, you know, th Jesus, thanks for the help up, and now I'm going to take off running. And it's sort of up to me now. And we tend to therefore review, uh, view repentance as this really bad thing. We tend to look at repentance as something that we, we don't really like to do. But what I want you to see is Jesus is telling us, no, 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 I want you to stay exactly right there. I want you to stay always repentant. 
needing me. Don't graduate from there. Right? You, you need it at day one, and don't leave. Because that's where we're going to find our life. I'm going to give you this illustration that I stole from a, a pastor named Joe Novenson. This is one of the best illustrations you will ever hear. This has stuck with me for at least a decade. He said that we tend to think of repentance the same way that we think about driving through a bad neighborhood. That every once in a while it's something you got to do to get where you want to go, but you don't like it, and you try to get through it as quickly as you can, right? Just to, we need to get where we're going, so we roll up the windows and we keep our head down and we just get there. And you don't want to do it very often. And he said that that is not the biblical view of repentance, right? It's it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. He said, as opposed to thinking about it as a uh, the way we drive through a bad neighborhood. Christians ought to recognize that our, our address ought to be in that neighborhood of repentance. You know, Christians ought to find themselves, he said something like, on the corner of Broken and Hopeless Street. That we stay there. Because that's where we're always connected to Jesus. Jesus is saying, don't leave. Secondly, so we've seen sort of what it means to abide, to trust Jesus in faith and repentance and, and don't leave there. So how do we do that? How do we continue where we are if, you, if you're there? What is it that's going to help us continue in faith and repentance? And this passage and actually a, a couple of others in John, I think tell us exactly how to do that. So three thoughts very quickly on that. The first that we see is Jesus' love. Verse 9, what does he say? What does he say? Let me find it. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus says that abiding in him, staying right there, that the way we do that is to stay in his love. And just what kind of love is that, right? How much does he love us? Well, he tells us, right? It is only, that's in quotes, only exactly the same kind of love that the Father has for the Son. The Bible actually says that. That the way that Jesus loves you is exactly the same as the way the Father loves the Son. The way the Father loves the sinless, perfect Son. That's the way that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves sinners. And so we need to abide in that love. So we remind ourselves of that all the time. We preach ourselves. If you're a believer, you, you have to be, I have to be reminded of the gospel constantly, of Jesus' love for you. Secondly, the way that we, how do we abide? Jesus' word. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. In John 8, a little earlier in the book, John 8, 31 through 32 it says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we see something similar here in this passage in verse 7, right? It says that, that Jesus' words, words should live in us. So one of the ways that you and I 
stay where we are, connected to Jesus, is by His Word. Right? By the, the Bible. And so that means, that means that we need to, we need to read His Word. Right? That's why RUF is committed to preaching from and talking about uh, the Word of God. And if, yeah, in some ways it, it, it makes, it makes uh, my type people nervous to say things like, you need to read your Bible, lest that sound like, you know, I'm giving you some work to do. That God will love you if you read your Bible. But think about it like this. Just what if, what if the Bible is actually not a book that's primarily telling you what to do? What if the Bible is actually not primarily a book of rules for you to follow, telling you how you should be living your life? What if the Bible is not primarily a book of stories about heroes that we're supposed to uh, emulate, that we're supposed to be like? But what if the Bible is actually a book, and actually a living book, that is primarily telling you and I good news. That it's actually not, first and foremost, those other things, but it's actually something that is all about telling you good news in light of the bad news of our sin. That even though you and I have made wrecks of our lives, to whatever degree we recognize that, that Jesus loves us in spite of that. And he changes us. The, the third way I want to point out that how do we abide? That we abide because of Jesus' body and blood. Earlier in John, again, John 6.56, we read this. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now the reality of that, of course, is, is, is in conversion. right? When someone uh, is is saved by Jesus' body and blood in their place. But can you think of another, another way in which we experience, if you're a believer, the body and blood of Christ? Well, certainly it's in communion, right? The Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper, whatever your tradition might call it. And so what, what we see from this other part of John is that one of the ways in which we stay right where we are with Jesus is by, is by this beautiful living illustration that he gives us called the Lord's Supper. And that means the only place that you get that is where? In community, in the church. So that if you want to stay, if you want to stay with Jesus, if you don't want to leave him, if you always want to be repentant and trusting, then put yourself in the place where he said, that will happen. That's in church. And now look, I hope you come every week to RUF. RUF, we say, is the, is the church ministering on campus. But this can't be the fullness of your experience. We don't do the sacraments here. And so I would, yeah, for lack of a better way to say it, I would just encourage you, put yourself where Jesus has said he will be, in a sense, Right? Put yourself in the place where you can abide in the midst of believers in the church. 
All right, so thirdly and finally, all right, we've seen what it means to abide. Talk briefly about some ways how do we stay there. So thirdly, what, what are the results of abiding? Generally speaking, I think we see two results of abiding, staying with Jesus. I'm going to look at one of them quickly and focus on the second one. The first is that we're, the result of abiding in Jesus will be that we bear fruit. And we talked about this last week. Go back, shameless plug, go back and listen to the podcast. or the, It's on the website. Um, but we talked about this a fair amount last week. But notice... One of the main things that Jesus says that will result from your abiding in Him is your obedience. That you'll do what He wants you to do. And again, we went into it more last week, but this is not Jesus saying, if you want me to love you, then you better do what I say. If you want God to love you, then you better start following the rules and then He'll come around and love you. It's not what this is saying, right? We gave reasons last week. The whole rest of the the Bible tells us otherwise. That God loves us by grace. But what Jesus is saying is that if you remain with Him, if you stay with Him, that your life will... following His commandments, uh, change in your life will be evident. It will happen. It's, it's in some sense a promise. And it's, in, it's instructive to us. He's showing us, in some ways he's showing us how we express our love for him. Right? I thought about it like this. If you saw a parent, if you're at the playground, let's say you're at the park or whatever, and you saw, uh, I've, I've seen this in my house, right, this uh, situation unfold. Kid does something wrong. Little kid does something wrong. And... The parent begins to take issue with it. And sometimes kids are wont to say things like, Daddy, I I love you. Right? To try to, they're smart. They know what they're doing. Trying to play on those heartstrings, right? So you won't be so frustrated. And they say, Daddy, I love you. All right, so what if you heard that mom or dad say something like, "I I know that you love me. And I love you too. But part of being a good mom or dad, whichever the case may be, is part of, part of you loving your mom and dad is actually listening and doing what mom and dad say. Right? Would you, if you overheard that, would you think, oh my gosh, what is wrong with this parent? Right? And want to call DHS and get that kid taken out of that home because they just said, you need to do what he says. No. Right? That's actually a very loving thing to say. Right? And again, this is... Well, we don't have time for it. Alright, the, the main thing that I want to focus on, the main result that we'll see of abiding with Jesus, you see it in verse 2. You see in verse 2 that the branches that bear fruit, right, the ones that are plugged into the vine, that those very branches get pruned. Jesus continues the illustration of the the whole vine idea. And he says the ones that the ones that are bearing fruit, the ones that don't bear fruit, they get cut off, thrown away, and we burn them. But the ones that bear fruit get cut also. Why? 
so that they will continue to bear more fruit. And what Jesus is saying is that one of the results of abiding in Him, if you, if you trust Jesus, He is necessarily going to grow you. Right? That's the promise in the sense that we just talked about. But what He's telling us here is that may not look like what you want it to look like. In other words, if you, if you stay with Jesus, this might sound funny, but He's going to cut you. The Christian life does not mean that once you believe in Jesus, that life is just going to all turn up roses from then on. In fact, in some ways, it's quite the opposite. Right? Jesus is telling us here that it is going to be hard. There is going to be suffering. There are going to be times when you feel like you're being cut, when you're being snipped, when you're being cut back. So what does that mean? Well, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, we're not going to read the whole thing. Go home and read it. Write that down. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, I think is really helpful here. I'm going to read a couple of verses of it. He says, uh, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. And then he goes on, the author of Hebrews goes on to talk about how he gives the illustration of earthly parents. Right? If your parents, he basically says if your parents don't love you, then they don't discipline you. They don't worry about you. But it's loving parents. Right? Kids get disciplined because their parents love them. And he says, God does the exact same thing. So what does that mean? It means that when you feel in your life, when you feel suffering, when life is hard, when you feel like, it almost feels like God is, is, is clipping you back. And you think, this is... This is not the abundant life that I thought I signed up for. The tendency, I think, is to often think that God is mad at you. Right? It, I think we can quickly think, I've done something wrong and God is getting me back. I had a friend, a uh, student at the University of Louisville, did not do, uh, did not do so well on the, on the MCAT. Didn't do as well as he did as he won on the MCAT. And he asked me, he said, I can't help but think that when I was studying for the MCAT, I didn't read my Bible as much as I typically like to. And I can't help but think that, that me getting that grade is sort of God getting me back for that. He said, what do, you, what do you think about that? And what I want you to see is that when you feel, if you're, if you're a believer and you feel like you feel like life is sort of crushing in on you, right? And you feel like, there's no way that I can make it. You know, I, I took a pay cut. There's no way I can make it on the money that I have. I lost my job. There's no way that I can get into the grad school I want with the grades I got. Um, when you feel like, you feel like God's against you because your girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with you. Or your parents are getting divorced, or you know, fill in the blank. That what I want you to see 
is that actually Jesus promised that stuff like that would happen. And he tells us right here that it's not because he's getting you back. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's in fact exactly the opposite. That what God does in suffering, he uses and works through suffering. And now look, please don't hear me saying that like, so that makes it all better, right? Because it's still suffering. But that you at least have the confidence to know that God works in and through it to grow you. That God uses the difficult times in our life because it actually, it helps keep us where we need to be, which is trusting Him. Right? It keeps us from the, the, the posture of like, all right, I got this. Right? Life's clicking on, hitting on all cylinders and I got it. It keeps us from being there to right where we need to be, which is, I, I can't help myself. I need you to do it, Jesus. It helps us understand our suffering. Which we typically try to avoid, right? We, we often try to avoid the very things that God's using to grow us. So let me end with this thought. How can we know that all that's true? That sounds, you know, maybe you're here thinking, that sounds great. Maybe you'd like to be connected to Jesus for the first time, or you're a believer and you think, yeah, but I'd love to stay there. How can I know that, that, I, that I can come back? How do I know that He wants me? Well, the answer is because he, Jesus says that He is the true vine. All right, I think this is fascinating. Watch this. Jesus didn't just pull this illustration of the vine out of thin air. It wasn't like He was walking by the vineyards like, hey, you know what? It's actually kind of like that thing which would have been fine, but it actually comes from the Old Testament. In, in a number of places, the people of God are referred to as the vine, referred to as a vine. But interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, uh, when it talks about historical Israel, God's people as they used to be, it was actually always in judgment. When he used the vine metaphor, it was always bad. How his, uh, his vineyard, his vine, would one day come to ruin. How it would be destroyed because of its wickedness. You can look in Isaiah 5. But then in Isaiah 27, uh, 2 through 6, and we're going to read verse 6, we see that God says that one day, in the future, his vine would flourish. Listen to this. Isaiah 27, 6. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. So I want to end with this thought. How can that be? How can God say both is going to, both are going to happen, is are going to happen, whatever? That his people are the vine that will be utterly destroyed, and one day his people are the vine and they will flourish and bear fruit forever. How can that be? One has to be true, right? But they're both true because Jesus comes and he says, I am the true vine. I will take Israel's place as the vine that will be utterly destroyed by God on the cross. He takes your sin and your shame and everything that you deserve God's wrath for and He is destroyed as the vine just like He promised. But He is raised. Right? And so that He and everyone that is in Him is raised to new life and will flourish as the new and true vine forever.
It can only be true in and because of Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. And that's what we offer, what, what God offers to you every week. And I hope you hear that invitation tonight. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are the true vine. Would you cause us to find our life for the first time or for the millionth time in you? Lord Jesus, we need you to cause us to abide in you. And we thank you that, that you offer us good news, that you will do that. And we pray it in your name. Amen.